Hello everyone and welcome back to another video on the channel um, And for this one I'm doing a little bit special uh, I'm not going to be doing news for this episode um, And uh, I I saw this uh, guy on video or on YouTube And I watched his video um, His name is Windagoon He's a really good channel um, And he went over uh, Conspiracy Theory Iceberg Which was a really good video And I highly suggest you check it out if you're uh, into that stuff uh, but made me think of uh, possibly a sports iceberg. So I did my research and uh, tried to find the best one. And really, this is the only one I could really find with uh, some actual theories uh, about um, the NFL. So I will be going over this iceberg in this video. Just uh, tier one, though, uh, not the entire iceberg, um, because I will be going in depth uh, on each topic, kind of. But uh, uh, for this beginning part of the iceberg, a lot of the a lot of the theories here are kind of already facts or factual or known to a lot of people, a lot of football fans. So I won't be going too uh, deep into each one, uh, but I will give a lot of background and information uh, on each topic. So now starting off with the first topic in the iceberg uh, is Spygate. Now uh, a lot of people know Spygate. Uh, revolving around the Patriots and just going down some of the facts here so the first time it happened was in 2007 uh, when the New England Patriots were uh, recording the New York Jets defensive coaches and signals um, from an unauthorized location uh, during a game so basically um, you can record people uh, in like during a game you can record uh, everybody I mean obviously uh, the coaches signals are going to be shown even on live television because you know they're out in the open and they're supposed to be encrypted really so really only the team will know what's happening um, so uh, you know it isn't uh, it isn't illegal to really record uh, defensive coaches but uh, in this case the New England Patriots were recording uh, the defensive coaches uh um, sideline uh, like from directly on the Jets sideline which is uh, definitely illegal in the NFL um, and the Jets head coach at the time Eric Man uh, Mangini actually reported this to NFL security which then NFL security found uh, the uh, the recordings and then uh, you know kind of made New England dispose of them really um, and uh, Eric Mangini said that he wasn't really worried about the Patriots really recording him uh, but it was kind of weird and so he reported it uh, to the NFL security and obviously you know just it's kind of weird that they would record and also illegal that they recorded from the place that they did um, and so you know uh, the NFL commissioner Roger Goodell deemed that a violation of the rules. So after the investigation, Bill Belichick was fined $500,000 and uh, took the Patriots' first-round pick in the 2008 draft, which ended up being a 31st pick since they lost in the Super Bowl that year, I believe. Um, and the NFL wanted all notes and recordings regarding the Spygate, uh, but the Patriots did not want the notes and, and or videos to leave the facilities. So Roger Goodell sent uh, NFL authorities to go to the facility and reportedly they smashed all the cassette tapes 
uh, that you know that were there, and they also took all the notes that uh, you know the offensive coordinator and basically all the notes regarding all these tapes. They put them through a shredder, a paper shredder, and uh, uh, and basically disposed of this. And uh, by many people, they thought it was a little too extreme. Um, one of these people being the senator from Pen uh, Pennsylvania, Arlen Specter, who requested a meeting with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Um, in 2008, and then Roger Goodell um, and Spector uh, both had a meeting, and after the meeting, um, Arlen Spector, uh, the senator, uh, said that uh, Goodell uh, said that Belichick was actually spying on teams uh, since he became the head coach for the Patriots in 2000s, or in the 2000 um, year, in the 2000 season, uh, mainly uh, because of the amount of tapes that they actually found at the Patriots facility, which uh, isn't mainly known, I guess, but they were definitely recording a lot of teams uh, throughout Bill Belichick's uh, start of his coaching career with the Patriots. So uh, in a now redact redacted article uh, by the Boston Herald, they said that the Patriots also recorded the St. Louis Rams walkthrough practice prior to Super Bowl 36 in 2002. Uh, this was denied by Bill Belichick, and then also, then after it was denied, uh, that's when Boston Herald redacted the article and apologized for that. Um, and then in a statement uh, during uh, Fox NFL Sunday broadcast, former Dallas Cowboys head coach Jimmy Johnson said that, uh, you know, this is exactly what he was uh, asked to do when he was uh, with the Chiefs um, and to record uh, sidelines of other players and uh, or uh, record sidelines for other teams. And uh, um, he also said that a lot of coaches have done it um, and they really just try to cover it up um, and act like it just really never happened. So this definitely was a really big insight into what was really happening uh, in the NFL around this time. Um, and then in 2010, uh, the Broncos... Uh, were also caught spy, uh, spying on the 49ers as head coach Josh McDaniels, who many know, uh, was the assistant head coach to Bill Belichick from 2001 to 2008. Um, and then he was the head coach for the Broncos in 2010 when this happened. Uh, and, you know, the video director there was fired soon after uh, they were kind of caught. Um, and it's kind of interesting that Josh McDaniels, also another person that linked to the Patriots organization was spying and uh, Josh McDaniels did go back to the Patriots um, for the offense coordinator job and for this offseason has just left to be head coach for the Raiders so uh, I think they learned their lesson so I don't think there's gonna be a lot of spying for the Raiders organization hopefully not um, but uh, and then in I believe 2020 uh, the Patriots were also caught uh, in a 2019 uh, case uh, regarding the Bengals when the Patriots recorded the Bengals uh, during a Brown, Browns and Bengals game, uh, the game before the Patriots actually had to play the Bengals, um, and uh, they were caught by security, um, and apparently the person that was doing their, uh, was recording didn't know uh, what they were supposed to be doing, or uh, they just didn't know that that was illegal, so uh, they were recording, um, and upon further investigation, didn't seem like it really went that deep in throughout the organization. Like the first case in 2007, uh, just didn't link back to Bill Belichick. Um, so 
that one kind of ended in a standstill. They just kind of deleted the footage, um, and uh, not much has really been said about that. But uh, yeah, Spygate, really big deal in 2007, and again 2010, and then again in 2020, um, and really mainly revolving around the Patriots, and we'll see that again in this tier, uh, about the Patriots, uh, and their scandalous ways, uh, but, uh, it is, uh, very interesting. Now moving on to another gate, uh, regarding the NFL, uh, and the first tier is Bounty Gate. Now, uh, this scandal now revolves around the New Orleans Saints, um, and, uh, so this basically is, uh, uh, consisted of the bang or the Saints, sorry, not the Bengals, the Saints uh, paying members of the team for injuring opposing opposing teams players, um, and this was supposedly happening from 2009, uh, the year that they won Super Bowl 44, uh, throughout and up until the 2011 season, um, and uh, these are some of the infractions that happened. Afterwards, defense coordinator Greg Williams was suspended indefinitely, um, but was overturned overturned a year later. Sorry, um, and then he was able to coach again, but uh, obviously not for the Saints anymore. Uh, and head coach Sean Payton, uh, who just retired this year, uh, was suspended for the entire 2012 season, uh, which was shown in the Netflix movie, I believe that just came out. Uh, but yeah, Sean Payton was suspended for the entire 2012 season. Um, and that was the first time actually a head coach has been suspended for an entire season since 1978 when uh, coach Chuck Fairbanks was suspended. Um, and then next GM Mickey Loomis was suspended for the first eight games of the 2012 season and assistant head coach uh, Joe Vitt was suspended for the first six games of the 2012 season. And then the organization was uh, fined $500,000 so basically on par with what Bill Belichick had to pay for, uh, you know, for Spygate, and was revoked of their second round picks in both 2012 and the 2013 draft. Uh, according to many players, the uh, these bounties have been around the NFL for decades, so obviously something that uh, has been plaguing the NFL, um, and it's mainly been uh, between players, not really an organization like in the Saints case where multiple head co or multiple coaches and people in the organization were fueling this uh, bounty uh, pool. Uh, really, it was just between players throughout the NFL um, to injure or do whatever in a game. Um, and uh yeah so and this was mainly outlined in the Saints versus Vikings NFC Championship game where Bobby McRae and Remy uh Ayodele uh constantly knocked down Brett Favre uh, the Minnesota Vikings quarterback um and were hitting him uh really low near the knees which obviously is a dirty move um and that caused him actually to be out of the game for a short amount of time uh which was a really big hit for the Vikings I mean obviously losing your quarterback really big hit for them um and also uh in the off season or sorry no not in the off season but uh and then another another case here uh after or before uh the NFC championship game uh there were also many hits on Kurt Warner Cardinals quarterback uh at the time during the divisional game which is a week before the Vikings game um 
and Warner also was knocked out of the game for a short amount of time due to a chest injury, but Kurt Warner has said that uh, the chest uh, or the hit that caused the chest injury wasn't really a dirty play. It was, you know, regular tackle just caused a chest injury, but throughout the game there were many hits that, uh, you know, were directed at Kurt Warner, which were uh, very uh, high up or really low, so... Uh, definitely were, was causing injuries here but in the offseason in the 2010 offseason uh the nfl had an anonymous anonymous player uh come forward to say that uh, defensive coordinator at the time uh, the saints defensive coordinator greg williams did order bounties on both Favre and warner for that postseason um and so with that, uh, the NFL opened up an investigation where all employees and players of the organization uh, denied the bounty program in question, and uh, the player the player that did come forward also recanted uh, their allegations um, against the team. Um, so then, uh, and then uh, now late into the 2011 season, the NFL found more evidence that Williams uh, actually started. Uh, the defense coordinator Greg Williams actually started the bounty system uh, soon after his arrival uh, with the team in 2009, which I'll remind you, uh, the NFL was suspected uh, that uh, suspected that the Saints bounty program started in 2009, which uh, you know furthers uh, their theory that definitely Williams possibly started uh, the this bounty program. Um, and they found more evidence, which uh, possibly had approximately 22 to 27 players included in into the pool. Um, there was also evidence of head coach Sean Payton and uh, general manager Mickey Loomis covering the scheme up uh, after not being able to shut it down uh, by the team owner Tom Benson's orders. Uh, so Tom Benson was the owner and he really he asked Sean Payton um cuz because uh I believe in 2010 uh you know the NFL came down on the Saints to kind of find if Bounty Gate was real uh they didn't really find much uh up until this 2011 uh investigation opened up again so he asked Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis to try and shut the uh shut the Bounty Gate down but uh, Champagne and Mickey Loomis were unsuccessful, so they really just tried to cover it up. Um, and so then, uh, during this 2011 investigation, Greg Williams was also accused for running these uh, schemes, these uh, bounties, uh, as defensive coordinator for Tennessee, Washington, and then as a head coach uh, for the Buffalo Bills. So uh, definitely uh, were... Uh, really high positions and a lot of teams uh, so uh, they they uh, you know in during the investigation the NFL decided really to focus on the Saints uh, bounty gate as uh, it was the main focal point of this investigation um, and they really kind of saw these other teams as secondary options which they can come back to for more evidence uh, but really that the that investigation on all those teams and bounty gates uh, didn't really go any further um, and then in 2012, ESPN reported that uh, the whistleblower, the whistleblower for this uh, uh, bounty gate, was actually defensive assistant Mike Carello, uh, who was let go by the team in 2009 due to poor performance and lying about uh, personal leave. Um, and 
Gorilla was stated that he was mad at the organization for letting him go, um, and that's why he kind of reported to the NFL all of this uh, bounty that was happening, especially uh, kind of lines up with the timeline here. 2009, he was let go after the 2009 season, and 2009 is when the bounty gate started, so... Uh, the evidence was kind of lining up here for the NFL. And then on March 2nd, 2012, ESPN reported that the NFL found irrefutable evidence based on review of 18,000 documents showing players buying uh, into the pool for the bounties dating back to 2009, um, obviously supporting the claim that uh, the bounty gate started upon Williams' arrival. And the earning system, so the earning system really, um, so if a kicker lands a returner inside the 20-yard line, that kicker or punter gets $100 added. Um, and then uh, players having the opposing team's players carted off would earn $1,500. So uh, players getting, not even being able to stand up and to walk off on their own will and had to have somebody get a cart out and or stretchered off. So, I mean, obviously, they're putting players' uh, health at risk here. And then a player knockout earns, you know, the defensive player $1,000. So, and the players were encouraged to uh, continue this pool by putting their earnings back in. Um, so, they weren't really losing any money. It was just kind of being recycled throughout the pool. Um, and, uh, uh, and, I mean, and it is theorized that payments doubled or even tripled in uh, the postseason, uh, mainly in the playoffs, which uh, does explain the 2009 run that they had going into the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I mean, it, payment doubled and tripled. And throughout the years of this bounty gate from 2009 to 2011, um, supposedly, uh, uh, they were going to the postseason a lot. So I don't, I don't know if uh, payments were getting paid to other players, I mean, obviously that there was, but I'm not sure how much, mainly because if players were encouraged to pay back into this pool, uh, I don't really know um, how far they would be going into this. And so then uh, in a memo released by the NFL to all the teams in the NFL, uh, the it was posted that the Saints actually uh, had a bounty on Aaron Rodgers, um, which... Um, was a bounty set for I believe five thousand uh, dollars in an email sent to Sean Payton, uh, but I will talk about that later uh, in into the uh, research here. And also there was a bounty uh, on uh, Carolina Panthers quarterback Cam Newton, and both of these were in 2011. Um, and then according to the NFL, Saints linebacker Jonathan Vima, who was really the main player that was, uh, you know, suspended for the entire season, uh, actually put $10,000 to any player that could knock Brett Favre out of the game, obviously in that NFC Championship game, um, I believe back in 2009 or 2010. So definitely, um, you know, that popped up again. Um and then here, uh, Saints running back uh, Reggie Bush's agent, uh, Michael Ornstein, also contributed to this pool uh, with $10,000 in 2009 and an undisclosed amount in 2011. Uh, there was also more evidence that the Saints placed a bounty on Matt Hasselback during the 2011 wildcard game, uh, in which um, I believe they won that one. Um, 
And then later on in the investigation, Ornstein wrote an email to Coach Payton for $5,000 to any player that knocked out Aaron Rodgers in the 2011 opener, uh, which Payton said that uh, he did not know of the email, but eventually later on into the investigation, he did say that uh, he did read the email, um, but nothing really was uh, progressed upon uh, with that email. And as I know, um, Aaron Rodgers was not knocked out of that game, so the $5,000 was not rewarded to any player, but they definitely were uh, trying to knock him out in that game. Um, and then... Uh, also during this investigation, many Chicago Bears players uh, advocated for their quarterback, Jake Cutler, saying that in the second game of the two 2011 season, uh, Jake Cutler almost lost his voice after being kicked in the throat uh, by a defender and also just uh, many hits uh, on Jake Cutler in that game. Uh, many offensive linemen were um worried about Jay Cutler in that one and also Tampa Bay Buccaneers players have came out um and they said they uh, were aware of the dirty hits that the Saints were you know putting on um and they told offensive players to wear extra knee protection and uh and to be aware uh, of plays near the uh, near the sideline because uh, that's where the Saints players were mainly uh, getting their dirty hits in were uh, plays along uh, the sideline um, and then, um, uh, um, yeah, and so, uh, Tampa Bay really, uh, kind of closed the case out here, uh, then, you know, obviously I talked about the repercussions of these, uh, you know, the entire investigation, uh, then I believe the Saints did not do well with Champagne, uh, not as their head coach, uh, the following year in 2012, um, and they did come back uh, kind of, and, uh, Champagne still, I mean, his career, uh, you know, as a coach, definitely a well-revered coach, uh, definitely, there's a possibility that he doesn't make it to the Hall of Fame due to the Bounty Gate, but, uh, I wouldn't say that he's not out of the Hall of Fame, mainly because it wasn't really, um, his fault, he, like, he wasn't placing the bounties, really, uh, as of all the, uh, evidence that I've seen, that he wasn't putting the bounties on, players so there's a possibility that he does still make into hall of fame uh, but i definitely know that'll come up again if he does uh, have a hall of fame uh if he is in the hall of fame or at least uh nominated for being in the hall of fame as for greg williams um he was reinstated back into the nfl um was fired by the saints obviously um and then uh his latest job was with the jets um, and throughout his career as coach, uh, he's been asked about the Bounty Gate, and he's either denied the Bounty Gate as a whole, or he has said that it's just been happening around the NFL, and uh, uh, the Saints were kind of the main target of this. So, uh, as for right now, I believe Greg Williams uh, is not with the Jets, or he may, I don't think he's with the Jets at all, so uh, I, don't, I think he's just floating around, uh, possibly, so uh, he's not a coach right now. Um, I'm not sure about Michael Ornstein. A lot of the players uh, in the Saints, Saints organization uh, during this time were just really fined or suspended for a season and uh, kind of continued uh, with their day. Um, so yeah, this this was definitely a really big epidemic uh, in the NFL around 2012. Um, and I mean, they won a Super Bowl because of it. Uh, and uh, that was against the 
uh, Colts, I believe. So, uh, yeah, just it was a really big, a really big issue uh, in the NFL. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, really big in the NFL. Now, going into the third topic in the iceberg is fixed Super Bowls. Now, um, I highly doubt this one mainly because uh players are really putting their you know their bodies at risk uh to play the sport and i don't really know how you can really script uh you know this something that's physical and something that there's a lot of probability and there's not a lot of like being able to fix something but uh, uh i mean obviously refs fixing games which i will talk about later on in the iceberg uh because it is in tier one but I mean, yeah, refs fixing uh, the games is a possibility, uh, but a main, a main key piece in uh, why people think Super Bowls could be fixed uh, is just, you know, storylines, but uh, the first one that people really think about is Super Bowl three, uh, in which the New York Jets uh, defeated at the time Bol- the Baltimore Colts. Um, Winning sixteen to seven. Now at this time, uh, the the NFL wasn't what it was. So the NFL was one organization uh, built with their set of teams, and the AFL, which is now the AFC, uh, they have their own organization at this time, and they kind of just clashed uh, to see whose uh, conference or whose league was better, really. Um, and coming into this game, the Jets were eighteen point five underdogs, and uh, uh, 18.5 point underdogs in this game, uh, which was, I believe, the highest, uh, is, or is still the highest, uh, point differential, uh, before a game has started, and, uh, the highest one that sports betters have actually gotten wrong, um, and, uh, actually, I had the point spread actually wrong as well, so, um, this is really historical here, but, uh, mainly, uh, Colts defensive lineman Bubba Smith, uh, said in his autobiography, Kill Bubba Kill, that, uh, uh, that the game was most likely fixed to help aid the AFL and NFL merge. And historically, this is one of the games that did lead or that many people point to as one of the games helping the AFL and NFL merge, um, which was a really big deal, obviously creating the NFL that we know today. Um, Smith also said that he knew it was uh, weird when the uh, the Colts couldn't score inside the Jets' 20-yard line, uh, which uh, they were there five times in the first half. So, um, you know, that was pretty interesting, but you could also then chalk it up to just the team not playing well in the red zone and they weren't able to score. Uh, and I guess field goals were, weren't really a big thing back then, so I guess they really couldn't score a field goal, uh, they were mainly going for a touchdown, so, uh, obviously couldn't score there, um, more evidence is that Earl Morale, who won MVP that season, uh, who was the Colts quarterback, only completed six of his 17 passes, and threw three costly interceptions in the game, his last one being a pick six, uh, which kind of sealed the deal um, for the Jets winning the Super Bowl. And again, you can really just chalk this up to a good player having a really bad game in a really uh, big stage. So there's a possibility there, which is mainly why I disagree with Super Bowls being fixed, because you could just have really bad players or 
um, or people when people think a team is destined to make the playoffs. Uh, kind of right now with the uh, Rams, they kind of just built a super a super team. So, I mean, definitely they're going to make it to the Super Bowl, but you can also just say that it's fixed because the Rams had a whole bunch of people. Uh, they just got a whole bunch of people miraculously, and then were, they were able to get to Super Bowl. Um, many people think uh, the past Super Bowl, Super Bowl 55, with the Chiefs and Buccaneers was fixed because the Chiefs' up-and-coming team with Patrick Mahomes and the Buccaneers with Tom Brady. Obviously, you'd want uh, the two best players, two best quarterbacks in the league to go at each other in the Super Bowl. So a lot of people said that one was fixed. Um, just throughout Super Bowl history, people have been saying that it's fixed. Uh, but Don Shula, the Colts head coach at the time, denied these claims and just chalked it up to Bubba Smith just trying to get more promotion for his autobiography, which is also true there. So, I mean, really, uh, Super Bowls being fixed is a possibility, but... I highly doubt it, mainly because there's just a lot of things that you have to counter, uh, you know, count in there, and a lot of possibilities, a lot of liabilities. So, uh, I would really just chalk it up to people having bad games in a really big stage. Uh, now, another theory in the tier one uh, is hidden PED results. Now, hidden PED results are obviously PED stands for performance enhancing drugs, which are obviously illegal in uh, the NFL. Um, and since 2001, there have been at least 258 positive tests for PEDs. Um, and now I really highly suggest that the NFL is hiding these PED results because they don't want, you know, players taking illegal uh, substances to really, uh, you know, have a upper hand in the game. Um, obviously, as you can see from Bounty Gate and Spygate, they really uh, are kind of cracking down on teams that are really trying to get an upper hand. But um, it is possible that many teams, uh, many teams are hiding PED results of their star players. Now, the NFL kind of reaches out to the teams, I believe, to uh, set up these PED uh, tests for players. Um, and I mean, you you can I believe they have to do substantial evidence to show that they didn't uh, have the PED, like the test didn't uh, show up as positive. But there is a possibility that teams have just had their star player they test positive for uh, performance enhancing drugs, but again they want that upper hand and it's their star player they can't have their star player out. So uh, they really just said that uh, you know the tests came back negative and they weren't taking any PEDs which is a possibility and I will talk later on in the iceberg as it is in the iceberg but many teams have also covered up concussions for many players so it is a possibility that many teams uh, could have covered up PED violations uh, in order to gain an upper hand. Now the next big scandal here revolves around the Patriots once again, and it's uh, Deflate Gate, which many people know. I think this is really mainly the high, high up on the iceberg, basically not even on the iceberg, because basically everybody knows it. But um, it's the allegations that um, Patriots quarterback Tom Brady and the Patriots organization ordered for the footballs to be deflated. Um, in a win against the Indianapolis Colts in the 2014 AFC Championship game. Um, and I believe this was 
also during uh the 2016 this was still going on so uh they're doing an investigation on 2014 season um and this was pretty late on into the 2016 season where uh the patriots were playing the seattle seahawks in the super bowl so many people uh you know did not uh really pay attention to this mainly because it was happening like right around the time of the super bowl but it was a lot of uh, what a lot of people were talking about around the time um but yeah so they just ordered a lot of uh footballs to be deflated um and this case really ended up with Tom Brady being suspended for four games, uh, and the Patriots were actually fined $1 million and were forced to forfeit two draft selections in 2016. Um, so a little bit of background here. So when the case initially closed, uh, Tom Brady's suspension was actually called off, and he did play the entire 2015 season, uh, and then, you know, uh, which in which... Um, they obviously won the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 51, beating the Seattle Seahawks, and Tom Brady actually won the MVP that year, so, uh, you know, obviously called off, but the, uh, the, uh, case was actually later reopened, um, and Tom Brady was actually found guilty, I guess, um, and they reinstated the suspension of four games, now inflicting that upon the 2016 season, uh, where, is mainly where uh, Jimmy Garoppolo comes into play when uh, the Patriots played him in the regular season, um, which later let him become the 49ers quarterback and also Jacoby Brissett, who later on became the uh, kind of bouncer on the league. Um, right now he's with the Dolphins um, as a backup quarterback for Tua Tagovailoa. Um, so, I mean, this case really opened up a lot of players' careers at the quarterback position. Um, but back in, going into the case, uh, so the official NFL rules is to keep the footballs inflated within a gauge pressure of between 12.5 and 13.5 PSI, uh, which uh, is pounds per square inch. Uh, so before 2006, the home team was allowed to only use their footballs during the game. So uh, the opposing team was also using the home home teams footballs um and then after the 2006 season uh, the nfl reinstated a rule that both teams would have to bring their own footballs and then those teams would play with those footballs on offense um so the patriots obviously playing with their balls uh or playing with their footballs uh in the on offense and then you know the colts in this case playing with their footballs on offense which uh was uh which is a really key piece into this one so uh to further go on so um early reports suggest that the Colts and Baltimore Ravens first suspe suspected that the footballs of the Patriots were uh you know the the footballs the Patriots were using uh in the games against each team might have been deliberately under inflated to gain an illegal advantage during the 2014 NFL regular season. Now, the Ravens were really the first team to really point this out in 2014. They said these balls, I mean, they're kind of deflated. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a possibility, but they didn't really have any substantial evidence to really go about it. So it was kind of put off. Um, and 
um, having a deflated ball is actually a pretty good advantage if you're the quarterback in this case playing with your own footballs in, on offense so uh, you're able to really grab the ball a little bit tighter and you're able to control the ball and where it's going if it is under inflated um, so uh, you know that is one advantage to it and that's why it was such a big thing because of the possible advantages that the Patriots were having uh, in this game uh, or in these games in 2014 um, and this kind of got postponed until the 2014 postseason uh, during the AFC championship game so before the AFC championship game the Colts actually alerted the NFL that the Patriots were using under uh, under the under-inflated footballs, um, but they really didn't have any substantial evidence, once again, to prove that they were, so uh, they ended up playing the game, in the, uh, the AFC Championship game in 2014, um, and in the game, Dequell Jackson, uh, Colts linebacker, actually intercepted Tom Brady, and after the play was over, Jackson handed the ball to the Colts equipment manager for safekeeping, because he just intercepted Tom Brady in the playoffs. Um, but uh, during halftime, the ball is actually given to NFL security because uh, the first inspection, um, NFL ref uh, Jerry Austin stated that 11 of the 12 balls uh, that the Patriots were using were actually 2 PSI less than the minimum that uh, the NFL had. Um, and then during the investigation, um it was said that only one ball was under the minimum PSI level. Uh, and then, again, upon further review, the third inspection uh, during this case, another ref, uh, Cleet Blakeman, who's a really uh, highly known ref, has said that five of the 11 balls were actually measured to be uh, below 11 pounds um, of PSI, which is uh, way below the... Uh, Sorry, the uh, the minimum of 12.5. So uh, uh, it was really bright in there. So uh, that was a really big thing because there are so many uh, there are so many uh, reviews. So the first one, obviously, being 11 out of the 12 footballs were under inflated, and then the second review, only one football was under inflated uh, underneath the minimum, and then just a few. Like, and then most of the balls were uh, underinflated by just a few ticks uh, was the second investigation. And then the third investigation, uh, five of them were actually below 11 pounds. And then the rest of them were a few ticks under. Um, and the first inspection was at halftime. And they were going to investigate the Colts footballs. But uh, really, as I know from the research, uh, the Colts really only had, uh, I mean, most of their balls were our actually just properly inflated so they didn't really have any problems with that one but they were running out of time so they had to go back into the game at halftime uh, which the Patriots led 17 to 7 and then uh, but after halftime uh, the refs did reinflate uh, the rest of the footballs on the Patriots side um, and the Patriots did end up winning that one 45 to 7 so it really didn't really play that much of a role so people were saying that there's not much advantage because they were already winning 17-7, and then they just only furthered uh, that lead. They didn't. They weren't losing, um, but 
During the investigation, it was seen that a Patriots locker room attendant took 12 footballs from each team into a restroom for approximately 90 seconds, which is theorized that uh, he was uh, taking air out of some of the footballs. Um, And the investigation obviously closed in 2016. Uh, All that jazz, Tom Brady... Uh, suspended for four games the team had to pay fines um and it was i mean it's still kind of a running joke for tom brady here just the deflated balls but uh but um yeah it was a really big uh issue there uh and for me as like a little kid i was watching the super bowl and i was like oh yes i mean you know i everybody's a tom brady at this a tom brady hater at this point so i was definitely hitting on tom brady's and you know and I was like, oh, you know, maybe maybe the Super Bowl goes back to the Seahawks, which I will talk about this Super Bowl later on in the iceberg regarding that throw that the Seahawks did uh, in the in the Super Bowl that ended in the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. I will talk about that because I believe it is in the next year, which I'm very excited to do that one because uh, that one is uh, that one is pretty extensive on that one. But. Yeah, the Patriots, the Flategate, really big issue in the NFL when it happened, um, and it's, it's been closed, but it is still a running joke uh, within the NFL community. Now, the next theory uh, into the iceberg is actually tanking. Now, tanking refers to just a team doing bad on purpose in order to gain the the good things about being a bad team. So, obviously, a good draft pick, uh, number one draft pick. Um, and this was mainly uh, pointed at uh, in the 2014 or no, 2011 season. Uh, when the Colts actually uh, possibly purposely tanked for uh, for uh, Andrew Luck, um, Stanford quarterback, uh, who was really good. So they were like, you know, we could probably tank. We could probably tank for Andrew Luck. Um, and this was mainly, they had Peyton Manning at the time, but he was injured uh, with a neck injury before the season started. And so he was just out for uh the rest of the season so they definitely needed a quarterback um and they had a three i mean they had three quarterbacks that were really revolving around there um and just it wasn't good uh they started the season 0 and 13 um they possibly were gonna be the third or the second team at the time to uh have an 0 and 16 record um, to join the Detroit Lions in 2008 season, who had an 0-16 record, but uh, the Colts actually won a game, and they ended off the season 2-14, and and they actually ended up in a tiebreaker game for the first pick, in which many people thought that they tanked because they actually benched Dan Orlovsky, who was, I guess, their best quarterback, who wasn't that good, but he's the best quarterback of the carousel, so uh, really... Uh, they benched him during the game, so they thought they, they were actually tanking for this for the first pick to get Andrew Luck. They ended up getting the first pick to get Andrew Luck. Um, and uh, you know, from there, I mean, history's made. Everybody knows how good Andrew Luck and the Colts are now. Uh, but Andrew Luck did retire like two years ago. Um, and pretty surprising retirement. Uh, but uh, obviously Andrew Luck had a really good career with the Colts. Um, and who knows where the Colts would be if he continued to play. Um, but he did have a lot of injuries and, 
the organization, the Colts organization, didn't really do that well with him, I'd say, trying to keep him healthy and surround him with the best players. So uh, Colts, I mean, they made it to multiple postseason runs, but uh, again, 2014 with the deflate gate, I mean, they made it to the championship uh, round against the Patriots, but uh, yeah, they definitely weren't able to get anywhere close to the Super Bowl. Uh, or they weren't able to win any championship, AFC championship games to make it the Super Bowl, so, um, before Andrew Luck's retirement. And it's funny that I talk about this now because the current Brian Flores investigation going around that, uh, Brian Flores stated that, uh, sorry, that Dolphins, uh, Dolphins owner, uh, was actually paying uh, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross would actually offered up paying a hundred thousand dollars per loss that the Miami Dolphins had, um, and obviously, I mean, the Dolphins have been doing pretty good for the past couple seasons. Uh, sorry, I just hit my mic, but uh, I mean, the Dolphins have been doing really good for the past couple seasons, uh, especially with Tua. Um, mainly, the issues were with that Brian Flores wanted to uh, not continue with Tua, uh, but. The organization wanted to continue with Tua, so they kind of just let go of Brian Flores. And Brian Flores, you know, obviously really key piece in this offseason so far, talking about how the Rooney rule, uh, where a team has to interview a head coach or a black head coach, uh, at least uh, interview them for the job. Um, And a lot of teams have uh, shown many black coaches that they're not interested by just not really interviewing them just kind of showing up oh yeah we're just doing this interview for the Rooney rule and then kind of just not going with that uh interview at all so uh uh, Brian Flores has also stated that about the NFL and then now about this purposely tanking Hugh Jackson has come out saying that the Browns owner also offered him money for uh losing games but then it was later on denied by the former Browns owner and then uh the statement was recanted by Hugh Jackson, uh, who was former Browns head coach. So, uh, uh, the kind of the tanking, I'm not too sure. Uh, but the Colts really a big piece in that one. The Eagles, uh, in like what last season, uh, preventing the Giants from making it to the playoffs uh, by purposely benching Jalen Hurts or Doug Peterson benching Jalen Hurts in that last game against Washington to uh put up to see who either makes it to the playoffs Washington or uh New York and Washington ended up winning that game which made Washington go into the playoffs um which they had to face the Buccaneers that year um but it is still under investigation uh it is pending uh who knows how it's going to really end but uh it's I mean it's kind of popular now that a lot of teams possibly are tanking uh a lot of teams I mean uh, a lot of players say that they don't really want to tank, mainly because, I mean, you're putting these bad players in positions to lose. I mean, obviously, you're seeing, uh, I mean, the 76ers seem like they are kind of purposely tanking. They got rid of basically anybody good and said, and then got more draft capital and uh, trust the process. Uh, and, you know, that kind of set them up for the roster that they have now with Joel Embiid and no more Ben Simmons, but... Uh, Ben Simmons was there and a lot of players that they drafted now to build this 76ers team that's in the postseason another another way of tanking the Browns uh, uh, former owner uh, who traded a lot of players for the Browns organization to get more draft capital 
which led to them getting two picks in uh, in the top four on 2018 draft, I believe, uh, in which they got Baker Mayfield with the number one pick when they went 0-16, and then with the third pick, I believe, they got, uh, or not with the third pick, with the third pick, yeah, with the third pick, I think they got uh, Nick Chubb, if I'm uh, correct, um, and then... Or no, they got Denzel Ward, I think. I'm not really too sure about the draft, but uh, they actually had 12 overall picks in that 2018 draft. So um, it's a really big, really big draft for the Browns, kind of making them where they are now, uh, going into the postseason with Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward, uh, really just Jedrick Wills. There's a lot of good players on that team, a lot of young talent. Um, Man, yeah, there's tanking still going on possibly this it's going on but uh, uh a lot of teams really i mean uh like the lions a lot of teams want them to tank i mean they they show that they don't really tank because the lions actually got the second pick when they had a chance at actually getting the number one pick but they ended up beating the packers the last game of the season uh instead of uh, and the jaguars actually beat the colts at the end of the season so uh um Lions did not tank that one for the first pick. So there are a lot of teams that are really bad that just don't tank, like the Jets, who were up for number one pick, uh, but they ended up winning some games late again, which made them have the second pick, and the Jaguars with the number one pick. Um, just a lot of teams that possibly could have been tanking, but we don't really know because it's not really pointed out. But there are a lot of teams that are could be bad on purpose to build uh, a future dynasty. Now, the second to last topic on the iceberg for Tier 1 is refs betting. Now, refs betting, uh, that is um, a pretty, I guess, well-known but not well-researchable topic because uh, when I tried to research it, there was, uh, wasn't was a lot of information, but uh, the main one came up about the Lakers-Kings game, which is basketball-related, so I will talk about that one later when I hopefully go over the NBA iceberg, but that one was a pretty big game. Uh, but with the refs betting, there's a possibility that the refs could have been betting in the NFL for a long time, and we just don't really know. I mean, if you really put it in perspective... Basically, the entire game is up to up to the refs. Like uh, the refs are calling all the calls, the defensive pass interference, which uh, we'll talk about later, and just uh, I mean flags, hands to the face, kind of setting up uh, games for uh, teams to win. And who's to say that they don't bet on these games to help them win more money? Um, and because I mean the game's really all in their hands. I mean. You know, teams can do whatever they can do to win a game, but when it comes down to it, if, let's say, the Buccaneers get a really big yardage gain, I mean, they get a big catch or something, then that could just be pulled back for a holding penalty that uh, nobody saw, but the refs can be like, yeah, we saw a holding penalty there, and so we're just going to call it back five yards. Uh, you know, that, that, that can be the game right there, so... There's a lot of possibility of the Reds possibly betting in games. There's not any research to say confidently and concrete that refs do bet on games, but uh, it, there is a high possibility that they do. Now for the last 
One, we have the DPI theory and the DPI inconsistency theory. Now, uh, this mainly, uh, from what I've been seeing, I mean, it's not really researchable because uh, uh, it's DPI is kind of like a, a interesting term, really only football related, so you can't really look it up. Uh, so uh, I'm not really too sure, but. Uh, with defensive pass interference calls, uh, they've been really, uh, really mainstream throughout the NFL as of late, uh, mainly due to a 2018 Saints and Rams game where uh, there was really a defensive penalty. Uh, there was there was no way that's not a DPI. Um, Saints defender comes in on a Saints or a Rams defender comes in on a Saints uh, offense a wide receiver uh, to. Uh, catch a possible game-winning ball in the playoffs. Rams where it hits him before the ball even gets him. It's definitely a catchable ball, um, and the uh, the you know the the refs didn't call it a defensive pass interference, which again could lend to possibly the refs betting on games to kind of you know get this point gap. Uh, but the Rams, I mean, uh, I believe one of the referees. I was watching a video. There's a whole lot of lot of videos on this uh, game, but the possibility that a ref's player was a Rams player or a ref's a ref was possibly a former Rams player, so that's why he didn't call the call. There's a lot of uh, a lot of theories regarding this call because it is such it was such a really deciding factor into who won that game. If the Saints get that catch, or even if they get the defensive pass interference call, the Saints are in alignment to win that game, make it to the Super Bowl, and play the New England Patriots. And who knows how good that one would have been because that Super Bowl was really boring. Uh, but the Rams, I mean, they get that defensive penalty. The, they get away with the defensive penalty. They end up winning the game, make it to the Super Bowl, and end up losing to the New England Patriots 13-3 to in that Super Bowl. So um, really big it was a really big call there, but throughout uh, the years so far, I mean, defensive penalty calls are just kind of uh, 50-50. You're either going to get one that's well-deserved, or you're going to get one that's not well-deserved, or you're just not going to get one at all. Uh, lots of defensive penalty interference, I mean, de defensive interference penalties, I mean, they're, they're definitely... Uh, definitely something to look out for but it's really subjective to what the ref thinks is a defensive pass interference and uh some some refs do call it good some refs just let them play and some refs just call defense like if the wide receiver gets touched you know that's defensive pass interference i mean uh they they are kind of cracking down on a lot, a lot more which has led to some calls that are not deserved to be called pass interference, be called pass interference. And then when they're heavily scrutinized for that, then refs don't call pass interference calls. It's kind of like a whole cycle of just defensive pass interference calls. And so the theory is that there's possibly a chance that uh, the defensive pass interference calls will never be fixed in the NFL. And we just have to kind of sit here and watch as the refs kind of just miss these defensive pass interference calls, uh, which is not liked by any NFL fan because we like to see the game be called fairly. And obviously, some chances have been you know put in the air because you know calls haven't really been played, and also just calls that 
uh, are really unnecessary. So uh, that's the DPI theory, and that's the conclusion of the first tier of the iceberg. Uh, just let me know uh, if you like this type of content. I'm not sure. I just wanted to do something different, kind of step away from the news part of the sports uh, sports industry, I guess. Um, and I will talk about uh, the future of the channel uh, next. Um, now, I do kind of want to step away from the news uh, element of uh, NFL and uh, NBA, NCAA football, and NCAA basketball. I really just, uh, I kind of uh, want to do more uh, documentary series or more informational series regarding these, uh, you know, the in throughout the league. Um, and I think I'll continue to do that. I think I'm just going to step away from the news part uh, of the channel, which uh, has definitely gotten to me, gotten me where I am now. Uh, but um, I think it's just better for the channel if I go more into the informational uh, series part of the uh, channel. Um, but I will be reposting a lot of news. I will uh, keep up with the news alerts on the Instagram channel. So if you do want to keep up with the latest sports news, you can follow the Instagram uh, at high underscore scores underscore podcast. Um, but I think it'll definitely be uh, good uh, to kind of step away from the news side of it um, and go more into this information deep dive throughout uh, all these sports leagues i think uh just let me know what you guys think uh about you know the content here uh but thank you very much for listening all the way through if you're on a podcast platform and thank you for watching all the way through if you are on youtube thank you very much and have a great rest of your day